the blood of the Lamb that covers the guilt of my past. By the mercy of God, holy and righteous I stand. I'm Welcome to the Preaching Podcast. I'm Paul Robinson, and I hope you're doing well. Are you down today? Are you discouraged? If you are, then I know that this message is going to pick you up. What we have today is a very encouraging message, and it really is about kindness. It's about God's kindness to us. And uh, this this message uh, it talks about the story of David and Mephibosheth. And I don't know if you uh, remember Mephibosheth, strange name, but uh, it's a great story, and if you've never heard of him, or if you're not familiar with the story, then you're going to learn all about it today, and I know it's going to be a blessing. And so uh, the message today, I preached this at Northside on September 20th, 2020, and uh, it is actually the third message I have on the uh, series, Where We Belong. And if you, if you recall, my last two messages have also been belonging messages, and so this is the third one. And let me encourage you, if you haven't heard those yet, go back and listen to those as well, uh, the belonging messages, uh, the last two episodes of the podcast. I know there's also be very helpful for you, but today uh, we're going to listen to this message, and I, I know it's going to be a blessing to you, so I hope you'll pay attention, and uh, you'll be greatly encouraged and greatly helped. So without further ado, here's the message, Belonging at the King's Table. Second Samuel 9, beginning in verse 1, it says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said to him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant, that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. And then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table. As one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table, and was lame on both 
his feet. You know, I really love this story. It's an amazing story. It's a story of incredible, undeserved kindness. You know, we live in a harsh world, and while there are stories of kindness out there, it's far too uncommon, isn't it? You turn on the news, you often don't hear good news, you hear bad news. You know, this many people were shot in, in this city and whatever, just lots of bad news out there. And, and we are constantly hearing about injustice, horrifying murders, spiteful attacks, unwarranted riots, filthy name-calling, and attempts to justify wicked behavior. Where is the goodness and the kindness? You know, for the Christian, we have a different reason to show kindness than the world. The world will show kindness to its own, but we are to show kindness to anyone and everyone, even our enemies. Now, the world doesn't show kindness to their enemies, do they? But why? That's the question, why? Well, I, I really believe that this story will help us to find the answer. Because this really is a story of kindness and mercy and love. So let's analyze the two. We're going to look at the two main characters in the story. The two main characters, of course, and that's Mephibosheth and King David. So first, let's look at Mephibosheth. Who was Mephibosheth? I, I got to get that word right. Mephibosheth. That's, that's a difficult name. Uh, you know, you never hear that Bible name today. Nobody, nobody names their kids Mephibosheth. So who was Mephibosheth? For a little bit of background, go to 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4. 2 Samuel 4, 4. And we find out a little bit more about him. <clears throat> it says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame on his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass that she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. So there we have a little bit of backstory. He was a cripple, and he was just five years old. The news came, and, uh, and so they, they got up to, ran, to run, and his nurse was with him, and apparently he, he fell, and he, and he broke his legs uh, or something, and, and he, he became lame, uh, a cripple, you know, just little, little Mephibi. And so he, he was a cripple. You know, it's interesting. Our culture it likes to change certain words, you know, like lame, you know. That's lame. That's dumb. Well, lame means crippled, okay? And dumb, of course, means you're mute. You can't speak. And we, we never really use those words anymore. If you're referring to something being lame, you mean that's really not cool, you know. It's just, it's just one of those things that the culture has once again botched the English language. Thank you. All right. So anyways, but he was lame. He was crippled. Uh, could not walk. He was not able to get the care he needed. And also he was Jonathan's son. And as you'll recall, Jonathan was David's best friend. That, that says that their, their souls were knit together. He says the love of Jonathan has surpassed the love of women. They had an amazing friendship. All right. They were, you know, BFFs. They were best friends forever, and, and so they were uh, close friends, and uh, Jonathan is actually uh, plays an important role here in this story, even though at this time he, he, was, he was gone, he was dead. And here is Mephibosheth, and really he, he deserved death, not kindness. I mean, 
There was nothing in Mephibosheth to make him deserving of such treatment from David. He got the royal treatment, literally. Uh, He was the grandson of David's worst enemy. And it wasn't the Philistines. It was Saul. Saul was David's worst enemy. Saul was obsessed with trying to kill David. And even David spared his life. David was like, hey, King Saul, I could have killed you tonight, just so you know. I could have killed you, but I spared you. I, I just didn't think it was right to strike down the Lord. Oh, bless you, David. And, uh, you know, it looked good. It looked real good. But then, you know, he turns around and he's trying to kill David again. He's just obsessed with trying to kill David. He saw him as a rival. And so, really, Saul was his worst enemy. And here's Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, but the son of Jonathan, David's greatest friend. Uh, now, there's a very interesting point here. Let's look at Second Samuel chapter 21. Turn there. 2 Samuel 21, keeping in mind who Mephibosheth was, his bloodline. Now, of course, this actually happens uh, after the story in 2 Samuel 9. So you have 2 Samuel 9, David takes in Mephibosheth, and notice here what happens in chapter 21 in verse 1. It says, Then there was a, then there was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord. The Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said to them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, not of the remnant of the Amorites. Children of Israel had sworn unto them. And Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make the atonement that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, We will have no silver nor gold of Saul nor of his house, neither for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, What ye shall say, that will I do for you. And they answered the king, The man that consumed us and that devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coasts of Israel, let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. It's very interesting here that uh, the Gibeonites, Israel had made a league with the Gibeonites under Joshua. And the Israelites said, okay, we're not going to hurt you, we're not going to attack you, we're not going to slay you, none of that. But Saul just overlooked that. Saul slaughtered a whole bunch of them, and so here... Uh, there's a famine in the land. God said, it is, this is Saul's fault. And so David says, okay, well, what can I do for the Gibeonites? What can I do for you? And they're like, well, we want seven sons of Saul. And actually, I, I, I believe not all of them were, were sons. I think some of them were grandsons. So basically, seven you know, relatives from Saul. And they said, give us the seven relatives and we'll, we'll hang them. And so David's like, okay. But he doesn't give them Mephibosheth because... Mephibosheth, you know, once again, he, he had basically brought him into his, his, uh, the palace and, and adopted him, and so he, he was not, he was not um, one of the ones that he gave over. He, he was safe. He was safe from being hung because of Jonathan, because of the oath that he had made with Jonathan. And again, Jonathan's very, very important to David. And so while Mephibosheth really was deserving of death, as the others were, he was spared. He was spared. It's really amazing. 
You know, really, Mephibosheth represents us, the hopeless, helpless, doomed sinner, deserving of death. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were yet sinners. You know, there was nothing desirable in us that God would say, Wow, I really like that. Yeah, that's no. No, God looked at it. All he saw was our disgusting sin. There was really nothing desirable in us. We were spiritually lame, unable to come to God, and undeserving of his kindness. And in fact, we, we would be called God's enemies. The Bible says that, you know, if we're living in sin, we are at enmity against God. We're God's enemies, his adversaries, and yet God put his love upon us, and God says, I want to save you. You know, I, I want to be a part of your life. I want to bring you into my family. I want to adopt you. All right, so there we have Mephibosheth, uh, a cripple. Nothing, there's no outstanding characteristics about him. He doesn't have any great abilities. There's nothing said about how wonderful and amazing he was. Nothing. All it says is that he was the son of Jonathan. And uh, that was enough. Now, we're, I got to be careful because I'm going to get into the next point with, without, uh, we're going to get to that. So that's Mephibosheth. He represents us. Now we're going to look at King David. King David. You know what? David took the initiative to find Mephibosheth. It's very interesting there in 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul? And notice this, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. So he just gives the reason right out front. Hey, is there, I wonder if there's, is there anyone left of Saul's and he says of the house of Saul, you know, related to Saul. And he says, I wonder if there's anyone left of Saul's relatives that I could show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Oh, not for Saul's sake. Saul was a terrible, wicked king, obsessed with killing David, not afraid even to kill the priests of the Lord. No, not for Saul's sake, but for Jonathan's sake. For the man who loved David, that his best friend, he said, For Jonathan's sake, is there anyone that I can show kindness to? So he took the initiative to find Mephibosheth. And you know what? He basically adopted Mephibosheth, even granting him access to the king's table. Now that's very, that's really amazing if you read that. He says, Nope, Mephibosheth, don't even worry about it. My servants will serve you. You have access to my table at any time. Don't even worry about it. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible that Mephibosheth, he didn't, he didn't do anything. Uh, he didn't do anything to, to, to deserve that. It was all David. He did it all. He did it all out of grace. And again, he did it for Jonathan's sake. He didn't do it for Saul's sake. He didn't do it for Mephibosheth's sake because, wow, Mephibosheth, you're an amazing person. No, he wasn't. He was a cripple. I mean, he, he was something that most people just look down on. But David did it for Jonathan's sake. And you know what David represents? Obviously, he represents God, doesn't he? He represents God in this story. You see, God is remarkably kind and loving to us. In fact, take your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 54. This is one of the best passages in all the Bible on the kindness of God. Isaiah 54. And you know, you'll have certain people that will say, well, the God of the Old Testament was just a God of wrath. He was just a God of wrath. 
He had no love. He had no kindness. I mean, look at him telling Israelites to wipe out the Ammonites. What a terrible, mean bully. Uh, no, wrong. Uh, because they clearly haven't read these verses. All right, Isaiah chapter 54, starting in verse 8. It says, In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. That's just, those are just amazing verses, the, the kindness of God, the overwhelming kindness of God. He says, yeah, the mountains are going to shake, they're going to be removed, uh, the hills are going to be removed. He says, but my kindness is not going to move. My kindness is going to be directly on you. And he says, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. And then earlier he says, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. That, that's really amazing that God speaking to his people says, I am your redeemer and I'm the one that shows you mercy and I have everlasting kindness to you. And that's really amazing. You know, have, have you ever, uh, I think we, we can all relate, you know, you show kindness to somebody, you know, and uh, it's easy to show kindness to somebody when they're, you know, being kind to you, right? You show kindness to them, they're kind to you, that's good. But if, if they're real mean to you, you don't want to be kind to them if they're being real mean, right? That doesn't come naturally to be kind to somebody that's, you know, being real snotty, real bratty, you know. And that just doesn't come naturally, but that's not the way God is. God is always kind to us. God always has that kindness for us, and He always wants to be kind to us. Now, we do have to understand that God uh, will have to chastise us, right, if we, if we mess up, if we sin. But the kindness of God never just disappears, you know, it's never like, God, God, that kindness doesn't just, all right, that's it, no more kindness. I'm never, I'm never, now that was a mistake. God's always kind. He's always there. When we, we, he's, always, he's always got that kindness when we need it. Amen? And why would God show us such kindness? Well, clearly, it's for Jesus' sake. You know, just as David showed kindness to Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth was undeserving of it. Well, he wasn't doing it for Mephibosheth. He was doing it for Jonathan's sake. We don't deserve the kindness of God. We don't deserve the goodness of God. And God's not doing it because you're such a wonderful person, because you're not. God is doing it for Jesus' sake, because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because of what, what Jesus has done for us, Jesus, that love he has for us. And God says, for Jesus' sake, I'm going to show you kindness. I'm going to set my love upon you. In fact, the Bible says, Ephesians 4 32, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You know why we are to be kind to others is because God's been kind to us. On behalf of Christ, he did it for Christ's sake, and now we should turn around and then show kindness to somebody else. If God's shown kindness to you, you should be able to show kindness to someone else. You know, well, they, they don't deserve it, exactly. They don't deserve it. I mean, we don't deserve the kindness of God either. 
that is such a terrible excuse, you know? They don't deserve my they don't deserve my forgiveness. Well, that's why it's forgiveness. You know, we, we don't deserve God's forgiveness either. And so the next time you want to use that as an excuse, they don't deserve my kindness, they don't deserve my forgiveness, whatever. That's not a valid excuse because you don't deserve it either. So if God's given you that, and, and God is of his own mercy and grace given that to you, you should, you should be merciful and gracious to somebody else that doesn't deserve it either. So you see, God took the initiative. God took the initiative to find you. God found you. He drew you in with his love, and he showed you great mercy and kindness. He, he wooed you, and, and he has adopted you into his family, even granting you access to the king's table. And he did it all for Jesus' sake. He did it all for Jesus' sake. You know, you'd, he didn't do it because you're some amazing person. You need to get over yourself, okay? He did it for Jesus' sake. We don't deserve it. And so we see Mephibosheth represents us. He represents the, the sinful man in all of his sin. Undeserving. In fact, as Mephibosheth was a cripple, you know, Mephibosheth, he couldn't really do anything, could he? No, we can't either. We're depraved. And then the king, King David, represents the king of kings, the Lord God. God took it, taking the initiative to go out and bring us in and adopt us and to say, sit at my table. And I want to talk real quick about the king's table. What's that about? Well, the king's table represents fellowship with the king. You know, not just anyone could sit at the king's table and enjoy a meal with the king. No, no, no. The table was reserved for those who were important to the king, especially his family. Now, the family of the king had access to the table. They had access to the table at any time. And, uh, of course, the table is also for perhaps special guests of the king. The king would have a special guest, and the king would say, please sit at the table. But uh, only if the king granted that request, only if the king allowed it. But the family always had access to that table. And it's very interesting that David says concerning Mephibosheth in verse 11, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. As one of the king's sons. David's like, okay, well, you're family now. I'm, I'm adopting you, okay? I'm, I'm the king, and I'm adopting you. You're one of my sons. And the Bible also says, verse 13, for he did eat continually at the king's table. You see, this was not a one-time thing. It was a permanent change. And when you are saved, it is not just something, oh, that was nice, it was a fun experience, okay, now back into my old life. No, 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 that's a permanent change. Your life will never be the same because now you are one of the king's children. Now you have access to the table at all times, anytime. Come to the table. The king will never, will never turn you away. It's a permanent change. You can eat continually at the table. Look at, uh, look at a couple verses here. First, Psalm 23, verse 5. Psalm 23, verse 5. <clears throat> it's a very... Very familiar psalm, in fact, probably the most well-known psalm out of them all. It says very interesting in verse 5, it says, Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. It's very interesting that this uh, is the, uh, the shepherd's psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. 
And you know what? God is our shepherd and our king. You know, we, we're the, the sheep. We're a part of his flock. And it says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. That's just an amazing thought that God, our shepherd, prepares that table. He allows us to be refreshed at the table, to feast at the table, even with enemies around us. You know, the enemies are right there. It doesn't matter, though. God can still feed you and take care of you, even in the presence of your enemies. God can take care of you. God can make that table. God can make that table anywhere. The Israelites were out in the wilderness, and God fed them with manna. God took care of them. He made a table for them. So God can make a table for you anywhere and at any time in your life. Also look at Revelation 3 and verse 20. Revelation 3.20. And here's the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to the church of the Laodiceans. The most wicked of all the churches. Really, it's the modern day church. And notice what he says. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door... I will come into him, and will sup with him, and he with me. Now, this verse is usually used uh, concerning salvation. You know, if you just ask Jesus into your heart, just open up the door of your heart, and Jesus will come in. And, well, really, that's not what it's talking about at all. You know, that's usually used as a salvation verse. That's not what it's talking about. Uh, Jesus is saying, you know, I'm, I would like to come into your church. Your church has kicked me out. Can I come back in? He's knocking on the door. Can I come back into your church? If you would open the door and let me back into your church so I can be the head of your church, that would be great. I'll come in and, and we can sit down and we can have a meal together. You know, he says, uh, sup with you. It's fellowship. It's fellowship. And so Jesus wants to come into the church. And it's sad to say that a lot of churches today, Jesus is not in the church. He's on the outside of the church knocking on the, the door. Let me in. Because that church... He's not the head of that church. That, that church has made, uh, that church is more concerned with drawing people in, making people feel comfortable, making people feel good. They don't preach the gospel. They don't preach against sin. They don't preach any hard preaching. And it's all feel good preaching. And so Jesus is not in the church. And he says, please let me in your church. And he says, if, I, if you'll let me in, I'll, I'll come into him. I'll sup with you. I'll, I'll fellowship with you. That's, that's what God wants to do uh, in our lives. He wants to come into our lives and fellowship with us. He wants to sit down at the table with you and fellowship with you. But of course, you have, to, you have to open the door, right? You have to open the door and let him in. Let him in. And so Jesus says, your king, he set out a feast for you at his table. He desires fellowship with his child. He wants to bless you and provide for your needs. You always have a seat at the table. You always have a seat. <clears throat> and you know what? Really, this is a story of kindness. But it's a different kind of kindness. And there's another story of a man who showed great kindness to someone who was undeserving of it. The man, a Jew, was beaten, robbed, and left for dead. After two individuals looked him over and passed him by, making excuses, oh, we can't, sorry, we can't help him. One man came, and he decided to help him, and we call him the Good Samaritan. You have to understand, the Jews despised Samaritans. Samaritans, they were a half-breed, a mix of Jew and pagan. 
The Jews did not believe there was such a thing as a good Samaritan. Good Samaritan, give me a break. Good Samaritans, they are vile. They are wicked. But this man overlooked the animosity, and he helped the Jew. He showed him kindness. And there's also a story of a Jewish man who made it his mission to go to Samaria to show kindness to one person. He even said, I must needs go through Samaria. Jews often refused to go through Samaria because they believed that they would be defiled, and so they would often find a route around the city. Isn't that unbelievable? You, you won't even go into a city. But Jesus was not filled with such loathing, but rather with love for a woman who needed the gospel. He says, I, I must go through Samaria. There is someone there who needs the gospel. And he went there and he talked to her. And, and she was saved. And then she went back and she told everybody. And many believed on the Lord there. Because he was not, he was not afraid to go there and show kindness. To show that kindness to her and give her the gospel. You know what? We, we do not deserve to be at the king's table, do we? We don't deserve to be there. But that's where we belong. You belong at the king's table. Take your Bibles, look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse, verses 5 and 6. Ephesians 1, 5 and 6. Notice what it says. It says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. You see, the king has accepted you into his family. He's adopted you, and he has accepted you into your into his family, flaws and all, problems and all, struggles and all. Your background doesn't matter. Your family doesn't matter. God has adopted you, and you're accepted. And as a consequence, you're accepted at the table. You belong at the king's table. There is food at the table. There is fellowship at the table. And yes, there is favor, the king's favor, at the table. Do you remember the story of the prince and the pauper? That's a great story. Uh, in the prince and the pauper, what happens is these, uh, this young, I, I, I believe they're just young like kids, this young prince and this young pauper, which is a beggar, uh, they they kind of they look the same. They look just about the same, and they they find each other. and And the prince says, "Oh, I just wish. Oh, it's such a pain being a prince. And uh, you know, everybody everybody sucks up to me, and it's just awful. And so I I I, uh, I would love to be out on the streets. You know, I'd be free, free of all these servants and everything going. Oh, that'd be great. And then on the other hand, you have the the beggar." And he says, oh, I just hate being out here on the streets and always asking for money and food. I just wish if I could be in the, in the royal family, if I could be a prince, that would be amazing. And so, you know what happens? They, they, they eventually meet each other and they see each other that they look basically the same and they agree to switch places. So they switch places. And, and now the beggar is, is the prince 
oh, this is great. Everyone's treating me great. This is wonderful. Yes, I can tell the servants, you know, go get me a, a, yes, a nice steak, you know, that'd be great. And then over here you have the prince who's now a beggar and he's like, this is great. Nobody's paying attention to me and, and I'm out in the streets and I'm mingling with real people out here, not a bunch of servants. And they were so excited. And, but you know what they found out? The prince found out that he didn't really belong in the beggar's position. He didn't belong as a beggar. And the beggar, he found out he really didn't belong as a prince. They were in the wrong place. They, they didn't belong. That's not where they were supposed to be. And it's very interesting that uh, really, for us, it's, it is a rags-to-riches story. It is a pauper to prince. You see, upon salvation, God changed you from a pauper to a prince, a child of God. That's incredible mercy and love. Incredible. He has shown you immense kindness. Now, the challenge is to go out and show this Christ-like kindness to others. To show that same kindness, not the kindness of the world. The, that's the kind of kindness that says, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Well, you didn't scratch my back, so I'm not going to scratch yours. That's not kindness. No, we need to show the kindness of Christ. That is an undeserving kindness. That is, I can see that no one has taken the time to show you kindness, but I will, and I will do what needs to be done. And I'll tell you, that's, that is, uh, that's hard, right? Because it doesn't come naturally for us. We don't naturally want to do that. That's why it's Christ-like. That, that means that the Holy Spirit needs to be working in your life to show that kind of kindness. And why show this kindness? Because God has shown us great kindness. And as he has done to us, we need to do to others. You know, you know what we need to do is you need to... You're, you're at the king's table, and you can come at the king's table at any time, but sometimes we need to get away from the table and go out and show kindness to others so we can bring them to the king's table because God wants to adopt them into his family as well. And so, don't ever forget that you always have a place at the king's table. You belong there. You belong at the king's table. And don't forget how you got there. The incredible kindness of God. The kindness that God showed you for Jesus' sake. And now we need to go out and show that same kindness to others. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the kindness of God, which goes right along with His grace, mercy, and love? Man, God is so good to us. And I love the story of David and Mephibosheth. I really love that story. David only did it for Jonathan's sake. And God has been so good to us, and God has saved us, and He shows us kindness for Jesus' sake. And so, the challenge for us is then to turn around and go show others the love of God, the kindness of God, the same kindness that God has shown us. And uh, that's a challenge. Hey, we're living in a difficult world and a difficult time when people are, they're crazy. And people are wicked. And people are not naturally kind. They're naturally selfish and evil. And they naturally hurt others, not help them. But we're called to be different. We're called to help and to love. 
And not just any kind of love, but the love that Jesus has for us. The same kind of love. That's the kind of love we're supposed to show. That's the kind of kindness we're supposed to show. So anyways, I, I sure hope that message was a blessing to you today. Thank you for listening. And hey, we got some big news here today. And I, Well, it's not big news if you've been, been uh, following my website. You might have seen that I put up the cover for my next book. It's called Becoming a Man of Missions, a study on the life of the Apostle Paul. And I'm so excited. Uh, the Apostle Paul, what an incredible man of God and how God used him. And there's a lot to study in this book. This book is actually a little bit longer than my other books because instead of 10 chapters, it's 12 chapters. And so it goes into all the details of Paul's life. I know it's going to be a huge blessing. It is going to come out in late June. Late June, all right? So keep your eye out for that and stay tuned for more information. Soon I'm going to be dropping a promo video, and the video is going to talk a little bit more about the book. And uh, just trying to get out the word, all right? So uh, I hope you'll be ready to buy a copy when it comes out. It'll be available on Amazon, and also share it. If it's a blessing to you, be sure to tell someone else, and it'll be a great blessing. The, the book focuses on evangelism, and it talks about not just the Apostle Paul, but a whole bunch of missionaries who have made a great impact in their ministry, so I'm really excited about it. And uh, once again, be sure to check out my website, paulrobinsonbooks.com. You can look at my other books and my blogs and, and all that good stuff, and my church's YouTube channel is Northside Baptist Church, North Glen, Colorado. You can check that out for other great messages from the other pastors as well as myself. And, of course, remember, you can also donate this podcast for as little as a dollar a month. There's a link at the end of the description of this episode. Click on that. And you can support the podcast. Sure would appreciate that. And uh, thank you so much for listening. I'm Paul Robinson. And until next time, God bless you. Bye-bye.